Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and I have a great guest lined up for you today. Now, this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, your personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations tackling the challenging issues of our times. Now, before I introduce today's guests, I want to ask a favour. Now, it won't take a minute and it would make a huge difference to us. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review. It really helps us to share our message of inspirational change with as many people as we can. And it helps our guests get their messages out to more people as well. So thank you. Okay, are you ready to be inspired? Because today we don't just have one guest with us, we actually have two guests on the podcast this week. We have Pamela and Olivia Sane, an incredible mother-daughter team who have been doing some deep work together. As individuals, they're pretty amazing too, so let me introduce you. Pamela is Olivia's mom and her wisdom makes her the perfect advocate and educator for women everywhere. Her story of repeated loss and caregiving is one that resonates today. Not only did Pamela learn how to thrive after loss, she went on to become a pioneer in philanthropy. As a board member of the Cancer Institute at Advent Health Orlando, Pamela became the face for raising awareness for esophageal cancer. I hope I said that right. She has helped them get new technology that offers a breakthrough for early detection in esophageal cancer. <laughs> Welcome, Pamela. Thank you. Did I say that right, Pamela? Yes, That's a mouthful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, and we also have your daughter with us, Olivia. Now, Olivia Sane is a therapeutic storyteller, speaker, mental health advocate, and best-selling author of Live to Tell. Her life story makes her the perfect advocate, educator, and influencer for those who are looking for a way out of their own misery. Her struggles through repeated loss, failing out of college, and a myriad of diagnoses resonate with people. Liv has overcome so many obstacles in her life to find her voice as a motivational speaker. She's also the founder of LGBTQ support group, The Butterfly Talks in Orlando, Florida. Welcome to Olivia. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. I really am. And the title of our conversation today is Sink or Swim experiencing life through different lenses. So I'm just going to open this up to either of you to start and just ask you, you know, what is it in your life? You know, what has happened to you or both of you that has brought you to where you are today? And our title, particularly that first piece of sink or swim. Well, for me, I would say sink or swim resonates with me because it was only a year ago that I truly believed that the only way to happiness was my own funeral. And the only way to find peace was to, in fact, rest in peace. I became very suicidal, depressed, lonely. I was drinking very heavily every single day. And I entered treatment because I hit my rock bottom and everyone's rock bottom is different. But for me, it was the night that I was standing in my kitchen and I was fantasizing about using one of the kitchen knives on me. And that was the moment I realized that was my rock bottom. But it was also the moment I realized my authentic self could not take its own life. I was, I remember crying and being mad at myself that I couldn't do it. I wanted to so bad, but in my heart of hearts, I knew I couldn't and my inner core was saved. And I entered treatment and it made sense. It was like the missing piece of the puzzle for me. I actually got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which made sense with the drinking, the mood swings, everything that I had experienced. It was as if every day I woke up and I didn't know what my day was going to be like. I couldn't find a middle ground. I couldn't find happiness for the longest time. And after coming out of treatment, it made me learn how to truly live again. How do you live again beyond your 
mental illness? How do you live beyond your addiction? And for me, sink or swim means choosing to get help, choosing to talk about it. Because there's going to be a lot of situations in life where we have to choose to sink or swim. And these situations and people are going to bring us down, whether we like it or not. So it's up to us to make the choice whether or not we want to go to the top of the mountain. Wow, Olivia, you've taken us straight into it. And I really want to honor that for a moment. Because you said something there that really gave me goosebumps. You said the only way you thought you could be happy was for your own funeral to take place for you to rest in peace to be happy that's quite a statement yes and in the moment you know suicide is this believe it or not is the second leading cause of death between the ages of 10 and 34 Mm. and when you think about it 10 years old it's like why would that solution even go through a 10 year old's mind Mm. it's it's just so it's so crazy the world that we live in The fact that we truly believe that what we feel is our destiny. And I always say feelings do not define our destiny. How we feel today is not the end of our lives. And in the moment of despair, you truly believe that. But here's the thing that I really learned was in the moment of being suicidal, it's not that I really wanted to die. I just didn't want to live a bad life. Right. That feels really important. You didn't actually want to die. You just wanted to live. You didn't want to live a bad life. Correct. And that's a distinction that's hard to make when you're struggling because we really do become delusional in the thinking that the only way to happiness is our funeral. I mean, that becomes the only option in in those hard times. Yeah. Wow, Olivia, you've been to the depths, I can tell just by the way that you're talking. And I I do want to uh, dig in with you into more of your experience, but I can't ignore the fact that we have Pamela with us, mom. And as a mom myself, I'm listening to your words, Olivia, and I, I just feel so like, oh my gosh, like if I was the mom and that happened to one of my kids, like what, what would I do? Pamela, how was that for you? You know, when you come to the realization of what's really happening to your child, no matter how old they are, it is the most gut-wrenching feeling. You, you yourself go through a lot of emotions that you question, um, you know, why couldn't I have seen this earlier? But there are signs. And I think as parents, we're always in that protective mode. We don't want to think that that's what's happening with our child, but um, but there there are patterns, and, and it does take a while to recognize. With Olivia, um, she was canceling plans more often. She was isolating herself more. I suspected she was drinking more, but she had a great way of hiding it. She was a great actor. Um, she, uh, if she would, if someone would get close to her and I think start to begin to find out what was going on with her and if they, if emotions would escalate, she had a way of just cutting them out of her life. So you see a pattern of this isolation happening and it happens within family, friends, colleagues, um, and and with her, she had was living in her own apartment. So, you know, I was seeing her less hours of the day. She was discouraging me from coming over. I would look up and she would be at my house maybe at 3.30 or 4, but begin to become very agitated. And that's when I started to realize, you know what, this is kind of this, um, this, this hour of the day where she's been able to to keep up appearances, but then the drinking, that drinking hour would, would kick in. And if she was not able to go home or drink, which took a while to figure out, um, she'd start getting very rattled, very angry, um, very agitated with you. So the, the night that she just described, um, Mm. I had a gut feeling that day that something was not right and um, a friend of hers had called me and, and told me that she had been drinking and 
And I confronted Olivia that right away about that. And she said, oh no, that's not true. You can't believe them. And you know, you, you want to believe your own child or loved one, but I could just see that the pieces weren't fitting right. And that afternoon, I just had a gut feeling, an intuition that came over me. And I had a key to her apartment and I went, drove over unannounced, walked in. And she had told me later in the evening that what she had just described to you, the experience that I basically had, had pretty much interrupted her, her plan that night. And, you know, the first thing I wanted her to know was that no matter what she was going through, she was loved. She could trust me. I wanted the best for her. And just trying to remain calm as a parent, you know, trying to, to get through to your child, um, not knowing what all is going through their brain right now. I mean, we'd had tremendous loss. We'd lost many members of the family. And that's really when all this started spiraling because Olivia lost her father at 23. And I think um, it's like the whole world fell out from under her at that point. Right. Right. So who was it that knew there was a problem first in the timeline? Was it, it sounds like it was you, Pamela, that had that intuitive gut feeling on the day that Olivia described standing in the kitchen looking at the knives. Is that right? Yes. I'm the first one she admitted it to. Right. So, Olivia, tell me what was going on in your mind, because you're in the flat, you've got a plan for the evening, and then your mum walks in unannounced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's that like? <laughs> it's funny, because, you know, in the moment, you know, you're very, I was so upset. I was really mad, because she's the type of mom that will never just show up unannounced. She really gives me my space. And she'll always call or text and ask what I'm doing and also to come over. So to hear the door unlock and to hear someone come in, I was very upset because I had a plan and it was interrupted. But then, you know, in the moment, like I said before, when you're in that despair, it doesn't matter. And I was very mad. But when I later looked back on it, it really was a beginning to a new start. And I do believe timing is everything. There are so many people that I hear there's these stories with people who are suicidal and they're about to take their own life and their phone rings mm -hmm. or somebody comes in and interrupts them. And I truly believe that timing is everything and that that is truly meant to be. So now I can look back and thank, be thankful for my mom for coming in because I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be on this podcast here today. Somebody on this podcast who is listening needs to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, your mom was talking there about <clears throat> what a good actor you were, right? And how you were so good at hiding things. I mean, what was that like for you just a moment ago to listen to your mom talking about Olivia then, you know, in, in that very raw, honest way? Mm. It's... That is probably one of the saving graces was thinking about my mom yeah. I think deep down inside, that's probably why I partly didn't go through because in the moment, you do start to think about your loved ones. And given we had already lost so many loved ones, and it was really just my mom and I, we remained very close through these years, and we really are each other all we have. So to imagine me leaving, even though I was already feeling so alone, so I could imagine, wow, how would my mom feel? If I'm feeling alone and I have my mom, how would my mom feel without me? Hmm. Yeah, and I, I've read your book, Liv, um, Live to Tell, which was just such a, I mean, it was a lovely, easy read, and it was, it was just so insightful for me to, to really read that. And a lot of it resonated with a few things I've been through in my life too. But one of the things you say in there is that we're all prisoners, really. We're all prisoners in life. And you said it in such a, like an easy, casual way. But I really wanted to ask you, because like if you, if you were to say that to me when I read it, I was like, yeah, I agree, we are. But I'd love to know what you mean by that. Because 
And I'll tell you why before I go into the question and let you speak. I was talking to my daughter, she's a nurse. And um, she, said, she, she gets really frustrated. She's done a few shifts in the ER. And she gets really frustrated with other nurses and doctors when addicts come in. Because it's almost like, well, it's their own fault. Mm. It's their own fault. And there could be some listeners <clears throat> that are listening here and thinking, oh, yeah, that'll never happen to me. You know, it'll right. never happen to my children. Ne- I'll make sure my kids don't drink or, you know, take drugs or whatever it, the addiction might be. Right. We all like to think that as parents. Right. So, yes. you know, I, I'm just interested in how do we help people understand this is ordinary. This is real for so many people in our world today. Yeah, that's, that, that's a very common, very common misconception. And I will reveal too that I was with a heroin addict for eight years. And I believed the same thing. I actually looked at my significant other and thought, well, gee, why can't you just turn it off? Why can't you just stop? Why can't you just go get help? And it just goes to show the lack of education that's out there is we're not, we need to educate people. You don't have to go through it to have empathy. I think that's what people need to understand is, and I think the perspective of my mom and I being here today is very helpful because it's coming from, there's going to be people out there who are parents too and don't have an addiction. Maybe their child does or their loved one does and hearing mom might help resonate with them and make them understand more just to have, it's really about empathy, just having empathy. Yeah. And I think it is about empathy, but there was another thread that ran through your book, which was about love, right? Right. I think there was, I mean, in many ways, you know, you benefited from the love that you have with your mom, but then it turned around and came back to you, your realization that you needed to love yourself to come yeah. back to life. It's a, you know, it's funny. I used to hear that all the time. You can't love, if you don't love, yourself, <laughs> you can't love anyone else. And I was always like, what? That doesn't make any sense. How? Right. But it's so true because when you love yourself, it, you really save yourself. Yeah. And you really, you put yourself first and that's what sinking or swim is all about is not only loving yourself, but saving yourself, making yourself a priority, freeing yourself from anything that may be harmful to you. And also too, it will determine the future relationships that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, because when I think back, I, I was in a, I was also, I've been in a suicidal space in my life and, um, you know, different circumstances, but um, I've been there uh, myself. I have a visceral memory of that, that space. And I just wonder, you know, because for me, that space was, in many ways, there was a distinct lack of love or emotion for me in that space. So that was my perception at the time, put it that way. I think there was a lot of love around me, but I didn't see it, know it, or even right. want to connect with it it's probably the best way of describing it and I just wondered you know for you you loved someone who was a heroin addict for eight years and then you found yourself in this situation did you did you notice the irony in that while you were in it <laughs> yeah you know it's it is I how ironic is I was with somebody for eight years who had an addiction I was trying my hardest to save them when really I needed saving myself and I ended up being becoming an alcoholic. I ended up needing saving. Yeah. Oh, it's just the irony, irony in it, in it is just so unbelievable. Who would have thought? Yeah. And, and Pam, I mean, how, how was this for you? Because, you know, your daughter's before she went into her own issues or they came to the forefront anyway, she was in a relationship for eight years with a heroin addict. I mean, what was that like for you? You know, that, that was really, really hard to watch. And you have an adult child who is over 21 years old. I mean, you know, people around you are like, well, she has to learn for herself. You know, your first instinct is to protect them. You know, they would, 
break up, get back together, break up. And each time I would hold my breath and think, oh, dear Lord, let this be the last time. You know, I just hope that this is it. And then then the girl would come back into her life. And Olivia was constantly trying to save her. And I could see Olivia just kind of get deeper into the abyss. And, you know, during this whole eight years, um, you know, she failed out of college. She was trying to um, function herself and deal with grief of all the loss that we went through. And, and, and we were having multiple losses. We were losing family members, you know, two and three members, you know, within a year and, um, you know, had two members of our family in hospice that she, you know, saw them take their last breath. You know, we were administering morphine. So all these things that we were going through just with a normal, you know, just if, if you were pretty psychologically uh, in a good place, could really, you could spiral pretty quickly and then add all these other components. Um, it was just a mixture for catastrophe. So, um, it, you know, it was very hard. Um, no matter what happened, I always tried to let Olivia understand that I would always be there for her. I would never walk away from her, no matter what she did. Um, the person she was in a relationship with, you know, they really had been cut off many times by their family. Friends were alone. They were homeless. And, and that didn't work either. So I think, you know, people give you all these different suggestions of what the right thing is. But I guarantee you the right thing is not to turn your back on on the person that you love like that. They do need to get help. Um, you can't fix them. Um, I think that night when when this happened too with Olivia, I had to stop and think, how am I going to rationalize with her in an irrational moment mm -hmm. and give her a reason to stay and hopefully that she will admit and see herself that she herself needs needs help and treatment. Yeah. And that to me feels like Mount Everest. <laughs> I have to say, like thinking thinking as a mom about how am I going to rationalize this? How am I going to make the case for Olivia to stay? Right. Like really, how am I going to do that? Because, you know, in some ways, I think, and you may have had this too, Pam, I don't know, it'd be interesting to know. I think I would have the, I would be fearful of the fact that I would know I couldn't save her. You know, I couldn't save Olivia right. as, as the mom. Right. I'd know she'd have to save herself. And I'd also know that she's not in any state right now to do that. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's very frightening. Yeah. And I think, you know, at that time, um, all I could think of was how am I going to get through to her? And I remember her telling me she had not been taking her medication properly. She was drinking more, yeah. really drinking in excess. And believe it or not, I pulled my phone out and started Googling and showing her, okay, here's the side effects from not taking the medicine, from drinking. This is what's puts you into a depression. And I was trying to actually just make, um, you know, a scientific list <laughs> And really and rationalize with her and not give her my my reason for her staying is because we love her we don't want to lose her it's like that's not going to work for her right now right. i'm going to have to show her some black and white reasons of why this really physically and mentally is happening to her and at some point it it, it broke through as she started reading it and saw it and we were able to make sense and and her own grandmother um, what was an alcoholic and, um, was addicted to pain medication for many, many years. And actually, I mean, she died from cirrhosis of the liver and, uh, we, we lost her not long after, you know, Gary had passed away. So reminding her of the life her grandmother lived and how even she couldn't get beyond this, but Olivia was young enough to get help and that if she would get help and try the treatment, um, we would stand behind her no, no matter what. Yeah. We would not judge her. We would, we would love her through it. Wow. So I'm just taking a deep breath here because there's a lot that's going on. There's a lot that you guys are talking about. And you're talking about it in such a way that 
I, I have no doubt that the, the story, if you like, is, is healed, right? I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I get a real sense you're both coming from real solid ground in this space because you're saying things so easily that other people that might find themselves still in that space would find very difficult to articulate. And Pamela, I want to talk to you for a minute now. Yeah. I don't want you to talk about Olivia because you've just told us about all the grief and loss that you'd gone through that had sent Olivia into this spiral, plus the, the relationship she'd had for eight years with her significant other, who was a heroin addict. And then what about you in all this? Because you lost your husband, you lost other family members, you had worries with your daughter and her previous relationship, and then this. Mm-hmm. How did you take care of you through all of this? Well, to be honest, I didn't. <laughs> um, <Right>. You know, <laughs> spoken like a true. You know, <laughs> that's why I have high blood pressure. And else. Um, you know, I I got into a space after. Well, before Gary died, my fa- my father died, and I had gone home oh, to take care of him for a year. Um, he had esophageal cancer. So that's, this kind of started back in 2008, 2009, and here we're in 2020. But, um, you know, it started with caretaking and I had lost my dad after about a year, brought my mother home here to Orlando, took care of her. Um, so, so she and my kids and my family kind of became my daily routine, uh, you know, and giving back to the community, um, in working with the Cancer Institute and raising money for an awareness for esophageal cancer. That was kind of my therapy in, the, in those first couple of years. And then um, Gary's dad died, Gary passed away, then Gary's mother within eight months. And it was just, I, you know, I kind of felt like I was in a train wreck, to be quite honest. But again, there were so many people to take care of and things to do that I just kind of immersed myself again into fundraising, taking care of the family. But it, it was kind of that uh, merry-go-round you get on and you just can't get off. And then as time went on and um, about three years ago, I lost my mother too to cancer and she was kind of my sounding board. You know, when I felt like I was getting a little crazy with all the things that were going on, I could at least talk to my mother. And, but I think once, you know, once my mom had passed, um, uh, my other daughter didn't live here anymore. She, she transferred. So it was just Olivia and I here. And, you know, I think it became, even tougher at that point because I didn't have these other distractions and I could see more of what was happening to Olivia. Not that I didn't before, but I think I could probably obsess on it more, you know, now. Um, And, and, and really, you know, I did not take care of myself because I was trying to take care of everyone else and just keep my head above water. And I, and I think, Mm. I think when people do have a lot of loss and things like that, and you're in a caretaking mode, you are the last one on the list. I think it's a common trait among most people that, you know, not until you're, you start realizing you're having some health issues, do you really step back and say, okay, I've I've got to change something here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Liv, let me ask you, I mean, you were going through all this stuff. Was there any point in that experience where, you looked out to your mom and realized that, you know, she was going through stuff too. Yeah, that, I, I think I had a lot of, I carried a lot of guilt too, because I could see how it was affecting her, all the loss and everything. And, you know, I think that's also too, why we got so much closer. Yeah. We remained close is because, you know, we did share some similar experiences, but yet gained different perspectives on it. Yeah. Yeah, I really get that. I do. And I mean, there's no doubt you've both been through the ringer, as my mother would have said. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, and yet you're both here today talking about your experiences I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, are you where you expected to be in your life today? <laughs> Definitely not. I, 
I, when I look at where I was a year ago, what I'm, I always try to reflect on what, did, what am I doing today that I couldn't do a year ago or I'm living today. Hmm. Whereas a year ago, I wasn't at all. I never would have expected to be here, let alone be talking about the importance of mental health. <laughs> right. And speaking up and, you know, and the you know, stigma still exists out there. And the only way to really stop stigma is by number one, not only talking about it, but doing something about it. And, and another important factor is getting people to change not only their thinking, but their behavior as to how they approach people who are struggling. Cause it's not a, you know, it's not a fun topic to really talk about, but it's how you convey the message that changes lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And, you know, one of the things that, that can often come out of deep, deep trauma, like what you've both been through is almost, um, I think of it as like a breaking open, where it's almost like you f you find you don't just come back to life but you find a more meaningful reason to live and i yeah. wonder yeah. if that had happened for both of you because i sense it has <laughs> yes. yeah you find you find you hope that there's something greater out there for you and i think that's what keeps people going especially it's what kept me going is knowing that there has got to be something bigger and greater out there for me. And mm -hmm. I'm, and it's being willing to find out and surrendering to change. Ooh. Knowing that you don't know where that's going to lead, but you're open to the opportunities and the possibilities. Now you said something there that really resonated with me, Liv. You said surrendering to change. And mm -hmm. that's, that is definitely the way I see kind of the turning point, the threshold of change for people in situations like this. Because when I was in that place, for me, I, I was very ill at the time and had a, an awful lot of pain and um, the doctors couldn't get me better and I was eventually given a terminal diagnosis. And what happened was I was resisting the problems, the health problems I was having. I was resisting them. I was fighting them. I was trying to be like a warrior and, you know, overcome them and, and fight them. And, and the, the upshot of that was tension basically in my body. And, you know, and, and what it did was it just exacerbated everything. It made everything worse. My, and I didn't want to change in any way because I didn't know I needed change. And, and I was very, I don't know, you could have looked at me and said, she's very resilient, but on the inside, there was a very different thing going on. And it was interesting for me because as I look back and you said, Liv, before we started recording today that, you know, the Steve Jobs quote, you could, with hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. Well, for me, the real moment where I first found a little glimmer of hope for myself was um, when I surrendered. And you just said there, surrendering to the change. So is that what it was for you too, surrendering to where you were? Yes, it was actually in treatment. I was very stubborn, you know, like us all. And I had a lot of pride and I thought I was, I didn't have a problem. I thought I can do this, I'm fine. But it was going through treatment and actually being surrounded by everybody and everything that the information started to really sink into me and i realized in that moment that i'm an alcoholic and if i <laughs> i listened to people's stories about how they were homeless and how they got arrested and they had duis over and over again and i thought to myself oh my gosh if it didn't resonate with them after being homeless or having a dui it's never going to resonate with me i need to wake up and that was when i realized i need to surrender to change because it's the only way i'm going to ever get help yeah wow change. that is a powerful moment in your life very much yeah. you know, we really believe as an alcoholic <laughs> you I don't think you ever get really ready. I think you just get to the point where you've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's when you are open to making a, making a change in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Pamela, did surrender play any part in your experience with this? Um, yes, because I think <clears throat> you have to admit what's going on and you do in a sense, surrender to the circumstance, but you still want to fight going forward for your child. Um, it's kind of a weird thing. I remember, you know, when we took Olivia, you know, up to detox, um, probably the moment of surrender was when I had to sign her in and walk away and leave her there. That was really, wow. really one of the hardest things, you know, one of the top 10 because of <laughs> all the loss. I mean, it's hard to gauge these things, but one worse than the other, but that's really when you feel like part of me was tonight will be the first night I sleep because I at least know she's in this hospital yeah. and she's safe. And, and they had her on suicide watch when I called, you know, um, she's, she had complained to me the next day. Oh, so noisy. I'm in the first room by, you know, the nurse's station. And, you know, I thought, well, yeah, cause you're on suicide watch. Well, thank God they're watching you all night, yeah. you know? And, and so that, that is very hard to come to grips with. And, and, you know, the things that go through your mind too, are, well, first of all, I hope they keep, I hope they keep her, you know, you don't know if the insurance is going to cover, you know, are they gonna stay five days, 10 days, 14 days. You hope that they, they are there long enough to realize this is a problem because even, even 24 hours after she was there, you know, she called me and said, Hey, I don't belong here. You know, these people are bad and you know, they do drugs and I'm the only one that drinks alcohol. And, you know, and I thought, okay, here we go back to denial. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but, and I just, I kept talking her through it and saying, you know what, you got to wait, you got to see the doctor. And, and then it was like the second day she had a doctor that looked at her and this, this gal, I'll let, Olivia elaborate more on this because this was very interesting but this doctor was able to really get through to Olivia and she's the one that diagnosed her with bipolar disorder and after Olivia had you know one session with this doctor and they discussed what she thought she had Olivia said you know what I think I think I found the answer I I, I need I do want to stay I like this doctor I think she's getting really to the root of what this is mm. at that point there was a huge relief because I thought maybe now there is some kind of an answer to what has spiraled her to this, to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was gonna, <clears throat> I mean, that's great that you've met someone, Olivia, that you, that you can really connect with and that understands you and understands the issues that are going on. But I did want to ask you, why did you come back to life, Olivia? Mm. What was that decision? <laughs> That's a good question. One that <laughs> I, I truly believe that there's something, I do believe that there was something worth waiting for. Mm. Um, I really have to think, yeah, sorry, I'm so slow right now. I'm really thinking about that because it's such a deep question. You really it have is. to you really have to reflect and think about, yeah, why did I come back? What's the reason? I mean, I'm a firm believer in purpose. And, but I do believe that there was something I was meant to do. Yeah. And right now I'm raising awareness on mental illness and addiction and suicide prevention. And I think I've been there, done it. So I know what it's like going through the school of hard knocks. I know how hard it is and how low a human being can get and how awful that is that we get to those points. But it's, I think I meant to tell stories, to share my story, living to tell, literally, literally living to tell my story because that is what's gonna help people. That's what's going to heal the human spirit, the human heart. Yeah. Stories resonate with people. And maybe I meant to be here for some reason. Clearly, I think I am. I've gone another year. So I think that <laughs> I meant to not only, I don't think I was so much meant to save myself, but maybe we're meant to help save others. Yeah. Because I really want to honor you for being so honest there. Because my moment, my reason for coming back 
I, I found for myself, I was not enough. My life was not enough mm. for me to stay. And my, the only thread that I had that would mean that I was okay to keep putting up with the level of pain I was in was my kids. I, I just didn't want them to be, you know, I, didn't, I couldn't foresee the situation where somebody would sit down with them and say, your mom's died. Right. I, I just could not do that mm-hmm. to them, right? That was, that was the, the thing that, that got me coming back to life. And then what was interesting was, like you've just said there, and, I, and this is why I want to honor it in you, because you've had more foresight, I think, than I had in that moment, which was that there's a calling. There's a reason why I've come back to life. And it's not just about me. Mm-hmm. It's about others. It's now about what can I bring? What value can I bring to the world? What contribution? How can I help others that find themselves in similar situations you know, how can I do that? And that, that really was the beginning. And then I, I started to realize an even bigger vision for the why. And it just keeps growing year on year now. And it's only because I'm open and I'm listening. And I feel that in you too. In fact, I feel it in both of you, um, Pamela and Olivia. I feel it in both of you, this openness to listening to life now, the intuition and kind of following where you're being led. Do you have a sense of that in any way? Absolutely. That's really mm-hmm. how I live my life. I try yeah. to put everything off of my intuition, my inner voice. Because gosh, when I didn't listen to it, I was not in a good place. I've learned <laughs> the hard way to always listen to your inner voice. Yeah. You can always rely on it. It is not going to lie to you. Yeah. And I think your mom, Pamela, uh, from what you've been saying today, I know that intuition's strong in your life, isn't it? Yes. It's what got yes. you to Olivia on that night. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes it's funny. It's a little annoying because she <laughs> sometimes pick up when I'm having a bad day and I'm like, gosh, why does she have to know everything? <laughs> mom does. <laughs> yeah. So tell me now about your vision for the future. I mean, what's next for you both? Hmm. What a great question. What well, is next? I think right now with, with COVID, we've been, you know, trying to write a little more, do more blogs, get these messages out there. Because I think right now, you know, mental health is, mm. uh, you know, is at the core of the subject, mm-hmm. you know, with, with um, you know, all the lockdowns. And, you know, I think we look at some of the things we've been through and think, you know, this is just kind of a hornet's nest beginning because if if we were in this space when we could freely move about, people could go to work, you could go to school, you know, you could get your health care. Um, and, and now all this situation has changed because of the fear of this virus. Um, these numbers are going to grow at exponential, um, mm. you know, numbers coming forward. And and hopefully things like this podcast will help will help people with these messages and and t- we talk about it more um we hope there will be more opportunities for us to share our story and and uh hopefully touch other people that these things are going through their head but they haven't opened up because i think there is a lot of fear will i be judged will i work will i have an opportunity um when I, you know, when I was growing up, you didn't seek mental health. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. it was very much taboo and it was a secret. And I think now we're just trying to bring that message to the forefront that it is better to talk about it. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Um, I don't even know what the stats are to be honest right now of how many people um, in their lifetime uh, face a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. But I think the numbers have gone up so much yeah. due to COVID. Right. Yeah. I think what's important is just right now moving forward is removing stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And educating high school, especially with kids going back to school, educating high schools and colleges and encouraging students to open up and that it's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't honestly, 
I'm going to say it. If you don't have a mental illness or don't know of anyone, there's probably something not right there because everybody <laughs> yeah. has some struggle. I mean, I don't know how you go through life without a mental illness because we live in such a crazy world. Yeah. But, um, and, and educating companies on, you know, educating them and maybe doing training so they understand that even though you don't, you don't experience mental illness or addiction or suicidal thoughts, having empathy is the most important thing. So how can you help your staff while they're at work? Yeah. Managing it a little better. And even in the colleges, you know, we've, we've spoke at um, the colleges uh, the past couple of years. And the thing we found, um, there are a lot of kids that they leave, they go away to school and they carry these burdens with them. And then, um, you know, they're, they're afraid to let anyone know what they're going through. And, we've had, you know, many, you know, many young adults, you know, meet with us, you know, at the end of a presentation and say, you know, I've been struggling, I've lost, you know, a parent, a sister, a friend, a loved one. Now I'm, now I'm starting school. I have to be at my very best. This is my future that I'm working on. They, you know, they feel that everything they do in college is going to really be um, that, that point of entry when they look at, their career and what job they're going to do. But then if, if they have these underlying issues they're trying to deal with and just being on their own, that's, that's tough. I mean, these kids really, they're only 18. They're still, you know, I know people, they say they're adults, but they're still very young in that sense. And um, I, I think the schools really need to have programs in place for support um, where these kids can go and they don't hold it all in because I think that's how they turn to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, I remember when Olivia was in um, treatment, I gave her a journal and she wrote an entire chapter about the invisible people. And I think when we have problems like this, we become invisible. That's our way of um, kind of protecting ourselves and keeping our secret. And it, it's, it's interesting what, you know, what, the pe what people go through but I think getting that message out is probably what we're looking at for the future. And knowing you're not a burden, you know, knowing that it's okay to talk about it. You, you must know that you're not a burden. The only burden is what could have been. Right. Mm -hmm. And for the family, it's the hardest for the family. It's hardest for those who are left behind. Yeah. And that's really interesting. It's hardest for those that are left behind. And, you know, I just wanted to ask, uh, Liv, you've been in in almost both perspectives because you're in a relationship with someone who is a heroin addict and then you became the the uh, addict the alcoholic. Yeah. so you know from that you've seen both sides of of what this is like so I just wondered you know what wisdom do you have to share you know for our listeners and I'm going to ask you to share in two different ways, if you're okay with this. I'd love you to speak to any wisdom you've got for people going through it right now. And then any wisdom you have for people that love somebody who's going through it, a caregiver or a yeah. parent or a partner or whatever. I mean, I'd love to hear those two pieces of like advice that you might have. Yeah, the one thing that I would definitely say for those who are for those who have a loved one who's going through it and aren't sure what to do or what to say, the most important thing that I can tell you is to validate their feelings. Because when I was in that moment of suicidal thoughts, I did not want to hear someone tell me, oh, you'll be fine or life will get better. Just give it another day. It's like, okay, what is that going to do for me right now in this moment? It's <laughs> really not going to help me. And when you're suicidal, you really have already exhausted all the most obvious reasons as to, you know, why you shouldn't die. And you don't really want to die. It's like I said, you just don't want to live a bad life. Yeah. You're wanting to end the suffering that you're experiencing right now. I would say my best advice is validating their feelings and letting them know that what they're feeling is okay. Never discount their feelings. And... I always say to people, when they open up to you, make sure they feel like there's a resolution, not an execution. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was listening to Brene Brown this morning on a podcast as I was running and she was talking about shame is no way. If you shame people, that's no way to get them to change. Change never oh. starts from shame. It only erupts in like anger. Yeah, it only makes it worse and you only become more isolated and that's yeah. and then it, and it only confirms to them this is why I don't open up to people because of the things that are told to me yeah so it goes back to the whole you know educating people on what not to say yeah and what about those that are going through it themselves that find themselves in that dark place mm. feelings do not define your destiny they really don't we are I've been there. I've done it. I truly believed life was not enough and life would never be enough. And even if it was, would it really be enough? But when we're in that moment, we are not thinking clearly. We truly become delusional. And you have to believe that what you're feeling is only temporary and to not make decisions based on a temporary feeling. Like they say, you know, when you learn about suicide prevention, they talk about just helping you get through another day. Yeah. Just living for another hour, living for another day, because that hour, that next day, you might be surprised that it will turn around and it can turn around, Hmm. but it's only going to turn around if you actually open up and you'll be amazed as to how many people out there feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Pamela, can I ask you the same two questions? (laughs) Yes. Um, no, I forgot the question. <laughs> well, I'm just asking. Me. <laughs> I'm just asking for some wisdom to share for people that are in the dark place. You know, they're going through it themselves. Do you have anything to share for them? I know you've only been the carer, but having gone through it with Olivia, there might have been some insights you got from Olivia during that time that's different to what Olivia's pulling out. And then also for the loved ones of someone who's going through this, any advice you have for them? So the two different perspectives. So I would, starting out, I would say for the loved ones caring for that person, um, don't give up on them. Really be there to support them. Um, Let them know they can trust you. A lot has to do with trust because, um, even when when Olivia went to detox, I had to know get a, I had to get across to her that if anything went wrong, if if she didn't feel safe there or, or whatever happened, she could honestly call and tell me, and I would be there for her. I wanted her to know that I wasn't basically dumping her on someone else and and dumping our problem or her you know what she was going through on on someone else to deal with it that we really were in this together that she you know as her mom I loved her and that we were going to you know we were going to get through this and I was going to love her the entire time and and that would never change and I would always support her um I think you know, going, going through these things, um, you, you reflect, you know, you kind of reflect on where you've been and how you got there. Um, you know, for me, it's different because, you know, I've not experienced alcoholism or addiction, so I can't relate to that personally as someone that's gone through it. But I've, you know, but watching my daughter and my family members go through it is how I've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think be honest with them. Um, with with Olivia, it was, it, and it wasn't just a conversation that took place within ten minutes. It was kind of a a long duration of conversations throughout that night until she. I let her feel that she could open up to me. I didn't barrage her with questions. We, we actually went out and sat under the moonlight by the swimming pool and just sat silently for quite a long time and then started to have a discussion with her and um, very calmly. And then she finally broke down and, and admitted to me what had been going on. Um, so that's kind of how we got to our breakthrough moment. It, it's, it is hard to put into words. <laughs> It is. And I thank you for sharing that, that there, because you, that silence for me 
it's kind of interesting. It's the same in coaching. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm getting somebody to a point where of realization, I just tend to go quiet. It's mm -hmm. not about asking questions. It's not about giving them my point of view. It's just being with them. Right. In that moment. Right. And it sounds to me like that's exactly what you did with Liz. Mm -hmm. Just being with her. And I think more importantly than anything, you're now showing Pam how you met her needs in that moment because you listened, you understood, you know, which was part of what you validated her feelings. Just yes. by being quiet and not doing anything. Right. Because I think sometimes people, their first reaction is, is anger and, yeah. you know, blame and, you, you, you can't do that. That's just going to send them into a deeper spiral. So yeah. that's why um, you try to just let them get to the point where they can um, kind of let go of, of everything and, and let the honesty come through. Yeah. So like back to surrendering again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh, you two. I just want to thank you both for your honesty. Um, and I'm noticing the time. So um, I just want to kind of ask you one final question in our conversation today, which is this. If there's anything you wish we got to today, anything that you'd want to share with our listeners, but we haven't got there for whatever reason, what might it be? You know, what's a really important thing I've heard lately is I want people to know that suicide is not a selfish act. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Someone once told me that they had the same rep responses. Well, why did so-and-so die that was so selfish of them? And the person actually responded and said, you try putting a gun to your head. Yeah. That takes courage in a very different way, but it's very important to know that suicide is not selfish. Yeah. It's just in that moment we're trying to get rid of the, the pain and the suffering and we don't want to live a bad life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of people too think this will never happen to me. And you know, why shouldn't it? I mean, we all are going to go through loss in our life. Um, and loss can be in any form. It doesn't always mean death. It can, you know, you could be in a car accident. It could mean that you are a paraplegic or you, you know, lose everything you have. I mean, there's all these different reasons for loss. So I, I think the thing is, the most important thing is really don't judge those around you because you until you walk in their shoes, you really don't know what life has brought them. And just try to treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. You have empathy and, and try, to be, try to be kind and, um, and love them through it. Lovely. Thank you both so much for stopping by the Sacred Changemakers podcast. This has been an incredible conversation and I know our listeners will really get a lot of insights from it. So thank you to you both for coming. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for having us. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us to keep doing our work in the world. We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally. And together, we're making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. So if you're interested, I invite you to take a look and get free access to our popular program, Awaken the Changemaker Within. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for listening. 
for your intention and your efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.